The PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. What if we could block a protein to stop runaway cell division? Dana-Farber Cancer Institute laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, drugs designed to treat many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. And our Politics Monday team is here for a check-in on the 2024 campaign. That is Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter and Tamara Keith of NPR. Good to see you both. Hello. Thank you. Let's pick up where Lisa left off there. The candidates are going to be debating on Wednesday night. This one's hosted by News Nation at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. This debate does have the most strict requirements so far. Doug Burgum, the North Dakota governor, failed to make the to qualify for the stage, so he ended his presidential bid. And this is what he said in part as he ends it, he's slamming the RNC's debate criteria. He says these arbitrary criteria ensure advantages for candidates from major media markets on the coasts versus America's heartland. None of their debate criteria relate to the qualifications related to actually doing the job of the president. Amy, how are you looking at this next fourth debate? Well, I think the most important thing about these debates has been the fact that Donald Trump hasn't been there. And that's Forget about what the RNC rules are. That has probably been uh, the reason why the field has winnowed as quickly as it has, um, because there's been no opportunity to, for these candidates to really directly challenge the front runner. That said, it looks like we're going to have, as, point, as Lisa pointed out, those three uh, who were in that piece, and maybe Chris Christie as well. This is going to be the big challenge for Nikki Haley. She is with all the momentum right now. If you are Ron DeSantis desperately holding on to that second place, granted a distant second place from uh, from Donald Trump, you need to get back into that position. And we know that Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley have had something of a um, dislike versus dislike kind of relationship. Um, they've been going after each other uh, pretty consistently. So she's definitely the woman in the middle at, at this debate. And she will be tested in a way, I think, that we haven't seen before. Likely facing a lot yeah. of fire there. Yeah. Tam, how are you looking at it? What do you expect to see? Yeah, so as Amy said, this is really the undercard debate. This is a debate that <laughs> comes after several other debates that are all about who can be the leader in the position of distant second. Um, and, you know, at NPR, we've been working on stories where we compare the policy positions of the candidates. And the candidates who've been in the debates, we have a a pretty good idea of where they stand, how they would govern, what they want to do. Um, with Trump, he hasn't been pressed because he hasn't been in the debates. And so there's a lack of specificity on his positions that you don't see with these other candidates because they truly have been pressed. Um, of course, that also explains why he wouldn't want to be at these debates. Why would he appear at a debate with a bunch of people who are not even like close to nipping at his heels yeah. and where he could be forced to like actually say what his position is on abortion or how he would replace Obamacare or, you know, answer to, to some of Ron DeSantis's charges that he's basically campaigning on things that he uh, campaigned on in 2016 and never did. Well, Tim, we are seeing from uh, former President Trump this relatively new line of attack now. He is now sort of flipping the script his own attacks, people saying he is a threat to democracy, and he is now saying President Biden is a threat to democracy. What's the Biden administration saying about that? Well, so uh, President Biden, at the core of his campaign, is this 
um, this charge that that Trump is a threat to democracy. And um, it's not an academic charge. Uh, in the president's campaign launch video, re-election video, there is footage of the January 6th insurrection right. where uh, the former president's refusal to admit the results of a free and fair election led to, and his words, led to uh, lots of people storming the U.S. Capitol, waving Trump flags and bludgeoning police with, you know, flagpoles. And he continues to repeat and, that and lie. And he continues right? to repeat that lie. Yeah. Um, so what the Biden campaign says is, yes, of course, there is a receptive audience uh, among Trump loyalists, among the people who support Trump and are going to vote for Trump. I mean, there's a, a strong strain of January 6th denialism among those voters. So this is a message that works well with those voters. But the, the, the Biden campaign feels that Biden's message, that Trump is a threat to democracy, that that message stands up, that uh, all you have to do is look at video of January 6th, and, and that is there. But, you know, as, as they see it, um, this isn't actually new from Trump. Yeah. Um, he, he has claimed that the prosecutions of him are anti-democratic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, clearly he's he's trying to neutralize a liability here, and we see it going on in Congress as well. We have Congress directly going after Hunter Biden, suggesting that they are going to use Hunter Biden's uh, uh, business relationship with his family as a cause for potentially impeaching the president mm -hmm. of the United States, and and basically taking uh, the message to voters that. Look, everybody's corrupt, right? He does it bad, does some bad things. My, this candidate does some bad things. They're all the same. The one thing, though, I would say, if you're the Donald Trump campaign, the one message that works best for the Donald Trump campaign is on the economy. He has a double-digit lead right now over Biden on the economy. I think that, yes, I understand why he's doing this, why he wants to put uh, Biden on the defensive, but really the most effective campaign he can run is one that focuses almost entirely on the economy. That requires a level of discipline that Donald Trump does not currently show or has never currently showed. Yeah, and yeah, he has, has or never uh, seen. He yes. has this long-standing uh, pattern of, I know you are, but what am I? Right. And he did that during the Republican primary in 2016. He does it all the time. We've seen um, this before. So we've yeah. seen this yeah. before. Yeah. And, Meanwhile, and it has the effect of muddying the water. I do want to talk about um, what's happened on Capitol Hill this week, too, because the talks on Capitol Hill that could have helped to advance some of that funding President Biden has been requesting for aid in Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan, those talks have now broken down. They were over border policy, Amy, which Republicans have insisted be part of this foreign aid bill. Uh, we saw the OMB director, Shalanda Young, send a pretty strong letter to congressional leaders. This is what she had to say. Cutting off the flow of U.S. weapons and equipment will kneecap Ukraine on the battlefield, not only putting at risk the gains Ukraine has made, but increasing the likelihood of Russian military victories. Amy, is there any realistic path forward on this aid bill right now? I mean, there, I've talked to some folks who think that there might be a way that some of this aid gets through, though it may not be through this vehicle, but through a different vehicle. But really where Republicans, so many Republicans, especially in the House, sit, mm -hmm. is not much different from where a lot of Americans sit right now on their views of the importance of sending money overseas or the, the, the role of America in the world. And the Marist poll, sponsored in part by the NewsHour, bears this out. 50% of Americans saying it's crucial for the United States to be a global leader in the world versus 47% who say, you know, we should focus much more on domestic problems than we should about 
what's going on overseas. And this isn't just Republicans, though Republicans feel this overwhelmingly. Independents are also much more on the, we should be focused more on home than overseas. So the challenge that the White House has isn't just with members of Congress on this funding. It's also with the public that has become increasingly skeptical that the money that we're spending there is is worth it and that we should be looking more at home. Well, the White House says they won't leave Ukraine in a lurch. Will they be forced to? They don't want to. Um, and their negotiating position, they can't say, oh, yeah, we can throw the Ukraine money overboard and just go with the Israel money, because then the Ukraine money will be thrown overboard. Um, and so they are continuing to push for all of these funds that they've asked for to be linked together. Uh, these types of things are linked until they're not. Um, and and the, the Biden White House is in a really tough spot. President Biden has gone around the world pledging that the U.S. will be there as long as it needs to be there. Allies, you can count on us. I speak for the United States. America is back. I'm the president, kind of a message. Um, that message becomes more difficult when he can't get Congress to pass the funding that Ukraine needs, that the White House says Ukraine needs, that other allies are counting on the U.S. to deliver. Um, so that, that is a real challenge for, for the White House. The clock is ticking on Indeed. Capitol Hill. We'll yep. be following it all. Tamara Keith, Amy Walter, always good to see you both. Thank you so much. You're welcome. One of